But uh, anywho, it's almost time. Um, I guess I should start an introduction. Like, I've never really done a podcast before, so like, uh, I apologize if I'm just like aimless and directionless, but this is supposed to be like a casual chat, so, you know, there's no pressure to have like any kind of plans to, to accomplish anything. We're just gonna see where the conversation goes and see what we can learn from each other. So, yeah, I yeah, started, absolutely. yeah, so I started this thing called, uh, I Learned Today, and I just want to help, um, UX designers, developers, or anyone who's kind of, like, following our group to, um, to be more reflective about our choices, the ones that we make in life, either whether it's to do with our careers or ourselves as people, like, becoming your own leader, you know, seeing yourself in your career, knowing who you are. Um, it helps to talk things out, it helps to like put your uh, life in perspective because it could also help someone think about their own life in a similar way. They might have something in common with you and they might get some clarity from listening to this kind of conversation. And seeing as like I've been running like design sprints on Collective Studio for like about like five months now, like, I started off, like, not really knowing much about UX. I had, like, a very vague understanding of it. And I've even worked with clients in the past where they had me doing some types of, like, UX design work, but I didn't really have, like, a full grasp of what it meant to, to actually be a UX designer and going through that process. Now that I'm actually at this point in life where I actually have to make the decision of becoming a UX designer, there's a lot of things that I hadn't really considered before that, you know, if... If I was given this chance to change my career before the pandemic, like, perhaps I would have become a UX designer. And maybe there's reasons why I didn't choose this path sooner. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good reason, in a way, because now that I'm forced to see that, like, my job as a graphic designer and working in print is no longer as relevant as it used to be, it kind of forces me to look at the future and be like, hey, you know, the future's going to be very different and I need to think about how I'm going to grow and change and adapt to it, right? So I thought this podcast would be a great way for people just to talk open-endedly about different experiences and kind of relate it to the user's experience or the user's journey or your journey as a person navigating your career, right? So thinking through your choices, making sure you're making decisions that are true to you, that's super important. Um, and I kind of want to help people to like realize themselves and to be like, yeah, I can do this or yeah, you know what, I've made mistakes and I've learned from these experiences and that's what makes me a better designer or a thinker or leader. So yeah, um, let's talk more about you, Amira, Amira Span. Yeah, so you're, Span. yeah, so, um, we have just one like guest here that's listening, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, and um, the job that yeah, you have? Yeah. How, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Amira Span. I am a recent grad, just graduated, fresh off the boat. Uh, but I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, but I moved to Austin, Texas. Um, it's a big change from Florida to Texas, but super excited um, and I actually just got hired into a role of being a project manager um, I originally was uh, when I started my college career I was thinking I was going to go into software development um, I was interested in game design game UI um, I ended up figuring out that I'm not good at coding and that's okay <laughs> uh, so I made I made the switch to like u- user experience UI I've, I've uh, been a founder on two startups but I raised around like ten thousand dollars. I was also diversity inclusion coordinator for Hackathon. Raised twenty four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Um, so yeah, so I'm kind of used to the kind of a little bit of the game now of just like understanding a little bit about users and that like there's processes in place. But now that I'm a project manager, it's kind of taught me a lot more about you know the user isn't necessarily always the students that I'm working with. Um, I should also say that as a project manager um, with the program I'm running, um, I provide entrepreneurial resources to students. Mm-hmm. So I've started to learn that um, that it's not just my students that I'm providing for.
for and it's looking at their experience but also the people I'm hiring and my employees um, my cohorts people I'm working with and mm-hmm. understanding their experience as well because if they are not happy with their experience you know they're not going to help me or help produce quality work you know mm-hmm. I understand and this company that you were recently hired by um, it's not Reach, but is it something else? Like, well, which employer is oh, it? Oh, no, no, no. I was just, um, I was just hired full-time by Reach. Oh, uh, by so Reach, working okay. working part-time for Reach. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was like, because I was a student, too. I was working for the right. student. Right, okay. And they were like, oh, yeah, your, your, your superpower is project management, so let's just hire you. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> 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 That's so cool. Um, like, what made you realize that your superpower is in project management? Um, so this is like a random story that I tell everyone, mm-hmm. but basically, well, I tell everyone just because like, I feel like it's a foundational story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in high school, I used to be in like an arts high school, and mm-hmm. eventually I started doing like, I, I used to make art that was basically just animal puns, because mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and eventually, my, professor, my teacher at the time, my senior year, he was like, you can't do that anymore, you can do something else. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was just like, mm, yeah, no. <laughs> and eventually, he's just like, well, you can't use the school's resources unless you do something differently. And I was like, okay, well, he just told me no, and I don't really want to listen to him, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just going to plan it out myself. So I basically just, like, planned out all the resources that I needed to make this complex art. So I was like, printmaking, you basically need to, like, you just need a lot of stuff for printmaking. And so eventually I had to plan all this stuff, plan out my money, because I was only making, like, $100 every two weeks of the Mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. And so I I needed to plan out all the resources that I needed to get this project done, because I still needed to submit grades. I just didn't want to conform to what he was asking me, mm-hmm. which is more so like a stubborn decision than it is, um, but I think it was very formative for me, and I noticed that throughout college, like, I wasn't really focused on school, but I was focused on all the things I could do, um, so for example, I was like, okay, like, there's no program for game design mm-hmm. at my university or my college, very small university, mm-hmm. so why don't I just make the space, you know, why don't I just do it, like, what, I don't I have all this time, resources, I can just do it. Mm-hmm. So that's been my mentality. I realized that I'm really good at just, like, sitting down and looking at the ambiguous and just planning things. Oh, it makes me yeah. feel better sometimes <laughs> to just make lists. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because that's one thing I, I also related with with your story was about art teachers telling you that you can't do something in a certain way and you're a non-conformist like no I'm gonna make it happen right so I think we the world needs like non-conformist if we want change and you know I kind of can relate with that as well because um yeah like when I was in high school I was like a, a dweeb like I was really into like manga and anime and that's all that I really knew how to do that was like I drew anime uh, figures all the time. That was the only thing I was good at. I used to be like drawing Pokemon all the time, and that was just the only thing that I was just hyper fixated on, right? So, um, yeah, my teachers kind of made me feel like, hey, if you want to study like art in, in university, like you can't show a portfolio with just anime figures. You know, they're all anatomically incorrect. You know? Why not? Like, who who else is hiring me but the people I want to work for that want to do anime? Yeah. I, I just remember, like, in art school, like, they were like, oh, like, you need to take a painting class. And I literally was just like, I don't like painting. Like, I'm not good at it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they were, like, completely off the mark because, like, eventually I did bite the bullet and I took some, like, um, college level art courses just like as an introduction to build up my skills and it's like okay I'm good at like drawing realism I can draw from life and I can understand perspective and I understood that like what they wanted me to do is just understand like the process of drawing using mediums exploring different things different aspects of art so I'm like okay I got it and I actually kind of enjoyed it right but I just didn't like being told that like oh you can't make a career from this like, the, the style that you use, like, you can't get a job with this style, right? So, uh, I found that to be really discouraging. 
Yeah, I hear that. And I, I feel like there are ways to be encouraging um, in order to not necessarily discourage what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are ways that let you in a different direction. Like, you can't make a career out of this. Well, yeah, I can, but you also <laughs> probably just want something different out of me. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I guess my, my pathway to, like, where I am today was kind of, like, it wasn't as straightforward. Um, originally, I wanted to be an animator. So, as much as I wanted to do animation, I kind of realized that the process of animation was just not really for me. Because I just found drawing, um, just, just drawing uh, movements in between actions, just being able to draw, like, um, figures repetitively over and over and over again, the traditional way, I just found that super tedious, and I think I was just more interested in planning a story, like coming up with a storyboard and having a, a timeline of like, this is what I want to see in a particular animation or a story. So I was much less interested in the process of making it, even though I was super interested in animation. It's like, I understand it, but I don't actually want to do it. <laughs> and same thing with like video work and time-based work. It's like, I've taken courses in high school in like video editing, and as much as like I love movies and films, it's like, I can't do this as a job. Like, someone else would have to do it. I want to call the shots, but I actually don't want to do the actual work. <laughs> so, figuring that out in my life, it, it took a while for me to realize that, like, being an art director or a creative director was, like, the thing for me. And, yeah, despite my teachers trying to help me be, like, a whole person, like, they also said some things that were really discouraging, and I think being a bit defiant kind of helped me to challenge myself, put, apply myself in different areas, and, and look at myself differently as to say, is this really working for me? Like, do I really, really want to be an animator? Do I really want to just draw repetitive images all the time? And, yeah, I don't know. I just I just felt like... I just felt like I had to be against something. I think that was the motivator for me. It was just like, if someone tells me I can't do something, then I'm even more motivated to either prove them wrong, or to just to go to the extent of doing things my own way. Just as long as they don't get the satisfaction of, like, making me do things the way that they want to, you know? I definitely hear that. And I yeah. think, um, as I was listening to your story, I kind of found, like, the parallels between us. It's just, like, the constant need or feeling of trying something, you know? Because, mm -hmm. like, we were trying things, and it was like, okay, well, this is not what I want to do. But at least we tried it, you mm -hmm. know? At least we got to the point where we put our foot to the ground, and put the pencil to paper and just like we just had to do it because it was just like who else was gonna do it mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think maybe the adults around me at the time they just didn't want me to try because they probably didn't want me to like feel failure and I guess that's not really like the most important lessons in life which is to just pick a career that's easy and that you can excel in I, I think I was defiant in a way that it's like, yeah, I want to miserably fail right now just because I want to. Not because I want to fail, but because I just, I want to try things. I wanted to experience myself or see myself doing things that people tell me not to do. Just to prove that A, I could do it. And if I decide to change my mind, it's because I say so. Not because someone else says so. So, Absolutely. yeah. Teenage boredom is a yeah. <laughs> it is definitely mm. a driving force of many innovations. Yeah. Um, where did you go to university, by the way? Yeah, I, I went to uh, Florida A&M. It was actually oh. the school that accepted me, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> got, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I had very few options when it came to selecting schools because I wasn't really good at any other academic subject besides English and art. So I felt like, okay, I can't just be, I don't know, I can't get an MBA, I can't get a science degree, like I'm not strong enough to be in those kind of like fields and I wasn't that interested. So yeah, there was, um, I, I considered going to, I think, Capilano Cal College in, in Vancouver and I just settled for what was local so there, there was OCAD University and Sheridan that I had to switch between. So I took a course first at Sheridan for like general arts, like art fundamentals. And then I went to OCAD um, in, in Toronto for illustration. I figured illustration was more for me because I felt like, okay, I want to play with 
interpretive stories. I want to tell a story. I didn't really see myself as a great storyteller, but I figured through the medium of like comics and graphics, I, I, I could definitely like communicate visually, right? So I figured maybe I'll just be an illustrator, right? And the first year of being in school, I remember spending most of my time socializing <laughs> and doodling during lectures and just not paying attention. And I eventually just dropped out after the first year. Um, it's not to say that like I wasn't like a focused enough student. It was just more like I was struggling to like fit in. To be very very honest, like not a lot of people realize this about me, but like I have a learning disability, and yeah, like I I tried very difficult. I'm sorry, I tried very hard to like fit in, and it was difficult for me to balance the social aspect of being a student. As well as focusing on my grades and getting the projects done on time and stuff, so I eventually just burned out and I had to drop out the course because my mental health was just no good. It was just tanking, and yeah, I became a super super perfectionist as well, because like I never thought that the output that I was making was ever ever good enough. I don't know if you've ever ex experienced that in university, but for me it was like Absolutely. that. Every time I get like a C average like, grade, I'm just like, I'm shit, I'm terrible, like I thought I was better than this, you know? <laughs> do you feel like you've improved that over time or do you, do you have ways now of kind of curbing that? Um, that feeling? Yeah, like, you know what? Syndrome. Yeah, like I, th this is the thing, after dropping out from OCAD, I eventually, after like a year or two, just doing jobs in between, I felt like I was ready to go back into to college or university again. Because I felt like, okay, I was a bit immature, I was spending too much time exhausting myself and all these things, I'm going to get more serious and buckle down and actually finish a friggin' degree. So I actually went back to the college that uh, I attended for like the general arts course. Uh, I did another course again, and then I joined uh, a bachelor degree course for illustration at Sheridan College, and I stayed there for two years, which is better, and I actually got to see like a psychologist, and they helped me to take CBT to learn how to like identify some of my triggers and some of my negative thought patterns, and yeah, it helped, but it, it was like... The, the last resort because I turned to a psychologist only when like my grades were tanking when my mental health was tanking like this was like early into the second year and in the end I did drop out again which is not something that I'm happy about but at least it taught me like what it is that I'm able to tolerate and maybe it's perhaps the the programming itself if I took it on like a part-time capacity maybe I would be able to like keep up and you know carry on with the course if I just had it on a part-time schedule but at the time the the school did not have that as an option and they didn't have many accommodations for people with disabilities anyway so largely going through life not knowing what kind of disability I had at the time kind of made me feel like I guess I just give up because there's I just can't feel like I, I can cope with this anymore not only that but I also felt like some of the courses that I was taking was just, I wouldn't say beneath me, but I felt like I could just absorb the information a lot faster than others and I would just get extremely bored in some of my digital courses. So I, I felt like some of the projects I was doing I could complete very quickly and I, I was just bored through tutorial. I'm just like, I'm already done, let's move on to something more difficult. So I just felt like some aspects of, of school was just extremely boring because I either learned at a different rate than others and then there's other cases where my skills are not that strong and then I'm struggling to keep up with everyone. So it's like an uneven kind of effect where, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know, I, j I just felt like the course and the program, it, it just wasn't good for me. But it 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 kind of helped me to to realize that there were other opportunities out there for me like i'd always wanted to travel abroad and live in europe so after 
dropping out, I guess one of the reasons why I did drop out and what motivated me to move forward was uh, just taking a visa and moving abroad to the UK to work. And I did. And I got my first design job there. And I felt like, fuck it, I don't really need a degree. (laughs) I could figure this stuff out myself, right? So, (laughs) yeah. college. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like the college just really isn't for everyone. It's something I had to learn the hard way. But I also was like three quarters of the way through my degree and fails like a whole semester. And I was just like, okay, well, I already paid my way this far. So I got to do something. But, yeah, I, actually, when I had graduated, I was talking to my sister. I was like, man, like, I really hated college. And she was like, yeah, it was just never your ministry. And I was like, okay, that's actually pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> but the accesses and resources of college have been really just, I mean, I got my job through my college. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't attend. Mm. So there's some, like, sometimes it's just, like, the time and place of where you are is mm. more important than the circumstance of what you're being put through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I justified my way through college. Like, well, I've gotten this far. Like, how farther can I go? Like, I get to take one more class. I could just take it at my own pace, take mm-hmm. three classes instead of being full-time and just work my way through it. It's just, you know, college isn't for everyone, but... Sometimes mm-hmm. the circumstance of college can be more beneficial than college itself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, you studied computer science first, right? Yes. Yes. But how yeah, did you? I graduated in computer science. Oh, okay. But like, how did you go through the program? Because you said that you didn't really like it. Like, when did you find out? Honestly, it's like when I got to data structures like I was coding and I was doing it just because I had to and mm-hmm. like I understood it but when it got to data structures and the more complex programs and like okay I gotta sit down for like a couple of days or even weeks to finish this program mm-hmm. it's like this is not what I want to do on a job <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to do this every day this feels hellish mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like I'm trapped but I just found that like okay like I may not like coding but I like making websites but I also <laughs> like like the visual aspect of how people interact with my website mm. like I just kind of like the people part of tech like yeah. I, I found myself gravitating towards that I may not be the person teaching but yeah I did just organize this whole event so this tech person can teach other tech people like that makes more sense to me that feels like where I just kind of force myself to fit in mm, yeah I could see that Ugh. I don't know. I don't know how I would um, cope if I was in your position. Because <laughs> for me, it's oh, just, it's just, too easy I to just be like, yo, it. if I don't see myself 100% wanting to do this, like, I can't force myself to stay committed. That's why I always look at people who, like, finish degrees and they're like, yeah, I hated the whole process. It's like, how do you, how do you study for three or four years doing something that bores you or is not interesting to you? I just find it, I don't know, I can't. I can't understand well, how honestly, that works. I was just having fun. I was yeah. just having fun outside of college. I was like, okay, like, I don't really like, like, because it's like there's some classes that were, like, interesting. Cause, like, I like, the, mm-hmm. I like how technology works. Like, mm-hmm. I understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, I've actually talked with Google. Um, I went to, like, the Google event where you could speak with, um, like, a Google, a Googler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, someone that works for Google. I met the, like, director of user experience okay. for like a certain section of Google. Yeah. Uh, I forgot forgot what he particularly does. He's been there like twelve years. Okay. He was saying that as you go into UX, like almost like computer science is a blessing. Um so like even having that background is super important because if you're working with UX and then eventually, you know it's UX and UI and then development of course and that handoff um, it's mm. it's kind of it's helping you become more empathetic towards like your developers, so mm. you understand the limitations of what they can or can't do. Like like yes, you want a pretty site, but how long is that going to take to make all this complex stuff? You okay. know, you kind of have to understand you know how technology works before you start designing. So I, I see it as a blessing because. I, I did want to be a software developer, and I was like, I'm not good at this. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not inclined to do it. Like, I don't naturally start doing this. Mm-hmm. 
And that's when I kind of understood, like, but I'm really good at, like, this other stuff. Mm. I also was part of the Incubator in 2017 okay. that really introduced me to that. Um, they're actually our contractor at the Act House. And yep. I was part of the startup group with two other people um, for, like, a whole year. We, like, lived together, did pitch competitions, and, um, and just created a business together. Uh, particularly, it was a way to streamline the process of searching, touring, and booking venue spaces u- utilizing VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, I just realized then that I was like, I don't really like coding, but I really like all this other cool stuff, like how the app actually looks, designing that, understanding who the user is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that kind of was really the pivoting point because I was like, I like computer science, but not that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, that's awesome. I, I heard a little bit about, like, Act House, and it, it, it reminds me of artist residence, residencies, because when I went to, like, art school, that was also kind of, like, a path that people would go on, like, when they're a little bit more mature in their careers, they go to a retreat, they work on a project, they share it with other like-minded people, and yeah, it sounds like Act House is sort of just like that, except it's for, like, people in the tech field. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah kind of. Um, they, what they do is that they take um, what they used to do. Um, they kind of pivoted since mm-hmm. COVID, of course. But um, they took three students from three kind of different backgrounds mm-hmm. and disciplines um, to have three different archetypes. It's mm-hmm. called the Architect, Creative, and Techie. Mm-hmm. And um, that's uh, basically how they wanted to use the architect to handle like business model canvas, business model, um, a little bit of UX, because mm-hmm. architects do kind of deal in UX, um, creatives who deal more with the heavy UX, mm-hmm. UI, design, marketing, branding, and the techie who would be doing like tech stack, development, development mm-hmm. planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of, because they kind of found through, through their research that teams would benefit more to have a more diverse work team um, to produce more. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, how long were you in that incubator? Like, how long was it? A whole year. A whole entire whole year. year. Yeah, I lived with these guys a whole year. They were super nice, super nice. I, I haven't heard from one of them in a while. Oh, gosh. They're both, they're both doing really well. Okay. What do you mean by uh, doing well? Like, they got good jobs yeah, someplace? Yeah, both, both of them have their own, like, ventures. One of them is, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was working with them the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I, I, I don't talk to one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one has his own venture. Um, he works for Ally Financials and their incubator mm-hmm. or their innovation center, I guess. So, okay, cool. So, like, can you recall like a project that you did when you were at the incubator? Like- yeah, yeah. Uh, um, well, we had started. We had created that uh, business with the. Um, we essentially were creating a business to. Um, find bookable venue spaces utilizing VR so you could this is like way uh, 2017 is when it was like kind of mm. hitting the market real hot mm-hmm. now it's kind of like a little bit standard practice to like look at apartments and mm. see like 360 photos and stuff like that okay. um, but in 2017 it was more of like a sweet spot of like you can get on the market as long as you have the technology and it'd be super fucking easy to just get <laughs> pictures done mm-hmm. because um, we just found that you know sometimes people want to book spaces mm-hmm. but not necessarily like they can't always see the inside of it because the pictures that they post may not be accurate they right. may not be able to see like what the room would look like in different lighting mm-hmm. um, how it looks like you can't hide a whole bunch of stuff if you're doing 360 so that's what we were working on like the majority of the time but we kind of mm-hmm. went through a process of ideation and going mm-hmm. through multiple ideas not all ideas were good ideas mm-hmm. um, but it was important because some ideas the, the first idea that we had actually um, uh, that we had actually thought of was like a way for uh, like college groups and to kind of stream together mm-hmm. um, so for example if you were at a concert but you wanted to see like the front row view mm-hmm. because people hold up their phones either way like you could connect to somebody else's street to see the front row view oh. or you're in like the back bleachers you know right but that doesn't work because sometimes hmm. cellular signal is crowded bluetooth only works to 
certain like range of like feet mm-hmm. so then it's like the user experience of that we didn't really do the research necessary but yeah it is what it is mm, okay like um how come you couldn't do research um well we just didn't know so mm. that, that was the thing like we didn't really know that user research is really important to mm. having a startup mm-hmm. so that was a point where it's like, okay, well, maybe we should do research with people. <laughs> like, maybe that's a good thing so we mm. know people will actually use it, you know? Right. Like, you weren't offered any kind of, like, mentorship in the process, right? You were just kind of left to your own devices to kind of figure out. Well, we, we yeah. did. Some of it was, like, we had to kind of do our own devices. But the, the goal of the incubator was mm. at the end of it for us to have, like, a business that we can just go off and live our lives with and build and donate back to the university with because Mm -hmm. the incubator was partnered with Mm -hmm. FAMU. And so we did, the the moment that we did realize that we needed to do research was when somebody told us, like, your idea is shit. (laughs) Uh You need to go back to the drawing board and do more research on technology. And we were like, hmm. He is totally right. Hmm. But that, that, that stung, you know. That was like, okay, like, you're really coming for me. We worked on this so hard. Just, like, <laughs> think of, like, how we're going to develop this prototype. You're like, your idea is shit. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay, we'll go back to the drive board crying. <laughs> so so did you talk to investors at that point? Um. So, no, not at that point, but... Um, at the end of it, we did pitch to investors. Mm. It was, like, a, a pitch day with in, in conjunction with, like, different incubators around the city. We pitched a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did raise, like, $5,000 for it mm. to pitch competitions. However, um, I think we were able to go far, but, but we just had ideological differences. We also just kind of wanted to do other things. Like, we weren't enthused about doing this idea anymore. It's like, this feels like, mm. it doesn't feel like a passion. Like, mm. I'm not going to wake up and want to work on this every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. Would you do that experience again? Like, if you had a chance? Like, um, not the same. Yeah. Sorry? I don't Do you mean, like, start my own business? Mm. Or start a business? Yeah. Like a start, like start your own business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually am in the process of planning like a new business. So I have an idea. I have, I have an idea I've been working on for like mm-hmm. the last two weeks. Mm. Um, but essentially, it's a way for people that enjoy cocktails, like the fake cocktails, um, to have in different varieties of herbal drinks that yeah. can pair well with alcohol. So okay. you have an option enjoy it by yourself or also without alcohol. Yeah, yeah. No, that is an appealing right. option. Right. Yeah. <laughs> are there any other competing brands that are doing it already in the States? Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a few. I think it's like, it's very much still like emerging because mm. a lot of people are just like, hmm, like I don't want to drink like right now. Like some, some people don't want to consume alcohol like every single time they go out, but they may mm. want like a specialty that tastes really good um but yes there's brands like house h-a-u-s and kin that mm-hmm. are also doing that that make their own mocktails i bring your views on it i also want to purchase them as well yeah um some of them are very very delicious to some people but some people are also like oh this is kind of intense because um, some of the flavors are, are more supposed to mimic how a mixed drink is yeah rather than just don't stand alone okay yeah that's true yeah because i've i've been trying like low alcohol no alcohol free alternatives and most of them are pretty bad but there are some brands of like de-alcoholized uh beers and wines that are okay they're passable and i think because of the lockdown as well i've been seeing a lot of ads especially like on spotify and just browsing uh on on google um 
of a local uh, liquor shop in my area and they're just advertising like low alcohol or alcohol free products so I don't know if that's a response to the lockdown where people are just feeling so lonely and they just want to go out for a drink but they can't but they don't want to get smashed in the middle of the afternoon when they should be working from home so I'm just thinking like I wonder if that's a connection with like people in lockdown that they need some kind of like de-alcoholized or some kind of low alcohol drink to kind of like de-stress Yeah. Absolutely. I was doing research on it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any statistics in front of me. Yeah. Alcohol consumption is absolutely up during quarantine because yes. a lot of people feel like there's nothing else they can do but drink. <laughs> but people are seeing the effects of alcohol, like mm-hmm. drinking for so long over mm-hmm. the last year. Or so like you know, people are gaining weight. Um, you know, your liver function is affected by your alcohol consumption, you know, your cognitive function is affected by it, you know, bad habits, or not Mm -hmm. bad, but habits Mm -hmm. start forming around your alcohol consumption, which could Mm -hmm. be good or bad. Um, and so I think this would be a way for people to be like, okay, well, I don't really want to drink, but I want, like, especially drink something I could just enjoy and Mm -hmm. sip on, Mm -hmm. um, and still get that kind of, like, nice euphoric feeling of, like, enjoying something, Mm -hmm. um, because that's what people are kind of chasing. Um, I, I was reading, um, not reading, but I was listening to Mm -hmm. a psychologist about, like, how alcohol consumption Mm -hmm. can affect people, Mm -hmm. um, and so with alcohol consumption, like, alcohol consumption is perfectly fine and normal, but sometimes people utilize it in order to kind of numb feelings mm. um, and try to kind of escape that, escape what they're feeling at that current moment, which is kind of where um, problems and addictions can come from, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the cause of all addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I find that people may want a substitute that can pair well, or they may want to reduce their alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. So um, this could be a way for that. So I see a market for maybe healthier consumption uh, or uh, what's the word? Uh, changed consumption of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think like a mocktail, the, the market of a mocktail is, mm-hmm. is rising so much because some people are giving up alcohol and some people may just may not want to drink, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is going to sound really ironic right now, but I've been sipping this glass of wine for the entire time. <laughs> I've been drinking wine while chatting with you about this. But yeah, yeah it's like, oh my god, what time is it? It's like 4 p.m.? Like, this is not usual for me. <laughs> so, yeah, lockdown has got me feeling a certain yeah. way. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, that's something that... that is really interesting. I haven't looked at the market side of it, but I just noticed like patterns in this, just seeing like ads popping up. I'm like, I wonder if it's connected to like, you know, the lockdown and how that's it affected is. our behaviors in a way. Because I definitely Alcohol see it in myself. Yeah. Um, especially during Texas, but Texas is a little weird. Texas doesn't yeah. alcohol after 9 p.m. Really? So, like, people have to get their alcohol like right at like 7 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Early drinking starts there, but yeah, but I honestly think alcohol consumption is so common mm-hmm. that, um, and also because of during lockdown, like, people fell into, like, a really deep, dark place of, like, having to stay home with no other choice. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people just found, like, solace in alcohol. Yeah, and depressive drinking. Maybe, like, gaming. Yeah, depressive drinking mm. or gaming. Um, just things to like keep themselves busy or like mm. enjoy things more yeah yeah I totally understand yeah but I w- what I'm gonna do with the drinks is I'm gonna test it with my community first so I'm gonna try to see if I can test out a recipe see if it actually tastes good because mm-hmm. it's actually funny boyfriend likes to eat what I cook or everything that I make it's a he's the first person to tell me if something tastes like shit so <laughs> I'm excited to test it on him and also test it community um when I was also talking to Google he was also saying that like um when you're doing because I want to turn it into like a case study yeah so I want to turn it into a case of like research about like alcohol consumption and how mocktails are on the rise Mm -hmm. um and how my particular brand and uh drink can kind of fit into that market of mixers slash mocktail Mm -hmm. um and so from there I want to test it with the 
Oh, sorry. So the Google, the Google person said that um, when you create these case studies, it's very important. Like you can make up anything. Like you can make up your portfolio, but it's almost mm-hmm. like super important to test in some way. Mm-hmm. Like get your friends to review it, mm-hmm. your neighbors, and so that's what I'm going to try to do to validate mm-hmm. my idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just drop it off at like the clubhouse at my apartment complex and just make a post like hey free drinks try it let me let me know what you think oh okay i wish i could sample it but i'm far too far away for that (laughs) (laughs) it's like a let's go it's like just like a spice drink Mm. spice drink okay i I think it'll be fine over the border (laughs) but i don't really know (laughs) Well, if it's a mocktail, it'll get across the border. But if it has alcohol in it, probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, anywho. Yeah, but we have yeah. talked about what we learned this week. Sorry, can you say that again? Week. We didn't talk about what we learned this week. I, we I felt like... What we learned. <laughs> oh, well, it's not necessarily the, that you have to learn something today. It could be in past you know but we're just talking about it today but um if you would have you learned something today specifically that was just like enlightening that you want to share um i learned a few things over the last Mm -hmm. two weeks that i think have been like super informative Mm -hmm. um the first thing is i found this really cool app for like developer and designer handoff called anima that basically turns your like it works with figma Adobe XD and Sketch Ooh. and so essentially it takes your designs and you can edit the designs in there and also inject code but it turns your code, your uh, designs into uh, live code like HTML, CSS or oh. ReactJS code that you can export to a developer and they basically can just do whatever they want with the code so then they don't have to like pick out every single et- SVG component and have to you have to export everything to your developer nope you just sign in you download the code and that's all you need and you can download particular exponents too I thought that was really handy and it's something that we're going to be using and something I'm going to be using because you can also like make websites from it too wow. you can like uh, you can literally like just put a custom domain on there and then as soon as you publish it it's up and running so oh you use that God. link as like a whole website. I we need that because um, we're developing the Collective Studios website right now, and we're almost in the process of um, just handing off our mobile and our desktop version of the website. But yeah, is it free? This software, by the way, or is it like yeah, a trial? Yeah, it's, it's free. It's free. Okay, okay. I'm gonna check that out. Right. See, I learned something today. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Oh my gosh. There's so yeah, many products out there that makes the process of handoff so easy that like some of the apps that I've used before, I've used Zeppelin before to kind of come up with like um, like handing off assets to like a developer team. But yeah, if there's some way to like streamline it so that it, the website could go live just from, you know, uh, uploading your um, uh, wireframes from Figma, then that's even better. That saves so much time yep. in production. Yep. Oh my god! Like I, when I when I had published it, all, I was like, yeah. "Oh my god! Like this is the best thing I've ever touched in my life." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> like I think that would be so useful. And it'll also be really useful for like designers who don't really want to work with website builders. Mm. Like I, I find that like with things like Webflow and stuff like that, like, yeah. you kind of need to know a little bit about CSS. Um, in order to build properly mm-hmm. but like this just makes it so much easier you can do form submission too and a whole bunch of stuff like you can mm. insert links like if somebody clicks on something it mm. goes to a different website or a different spot on the page um, it's just very useful very useful You get, uh, I think the form submission is my favorite thing because mm. then you can like just if you have a landing page you can just set up your newsletter through that yeah, that sounds beautiful. You're preaching to the choir right now. <laughs> I'm in love with this software. 
I gotta download it. Wait, is it a web app or is it like an actual uh, app that you download? It's a it's a plugin. So you basically oh, okay. just need to um, yeah, you just need to add the plugin to your your design software, and then you can just work mm. on it from your design software. Okay, I get you. Got it. All right, I'll look that up. But um, yeah. What do you think about um? Learn. Yeah. But what do you think about um, oh, sorry. designers learning code? Like, do you feel that it's really necessary? Or is this something that, like, we don't even no longer need? Like, who needs to learn code? I don't think... I, I think that you don't necessarily have to learn code, but you hmm. need to know how technology works. Like, there's yeah. no way that you can design web apps and apps mm. and... Like, it's just, like, you just need to know how technology works. You need to know, like, where this is supposed to go in your information architecture. Mm -hmm. Like, if someone presses a button, like, is it what is it supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Like, you need to understand, like, this is going to go to request from the database. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to know, like, what that database code is going to be. Because somebody else can write that for you. But at least now you'll understand, like, to make it easier on your developers. I don't think people really need to know code, um, but I think it's extremely useful. Mm -hmm. I think, like, the more you learn, the more stuff you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's, you can only get help. It's only helpful um, if you do. Gotcha. So for, like, a junior designer that doesn't really know much about development, um, do you have any advice for people who want to become, I guess, UI designers or UX designers? Like, how they can better communicate their goals with uh, developers. Apart from, like, understanding information architecture, is there something else that they should also know? Uh, I think you need to understand what that developer... If you're working with a developer, mm-hmm. what that developer is going to be utilizing. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, like, researching it a little bit, because mm-hmm. there are constraints on like frameworks and what you're able to do like some programming languages are not suited to I I mean this is not really a problem anymore Mm -hmm. but like for example like some programming languages are not suited to do things that you ask like you need them to do Mm -hmm. like for example like if you are sending your like if you have a application that is uh, uh actually let me because uh, this is not exact, but something that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, people use C++ for, like, robots mm-hmm. and robotics, mm-hmm. but you may not be using that particular language to develop the application. Mm-hmm. But people may use the C++ to program the, re- the robot, so you may need some communication between the application and the robot, and you kind of need to just understand, like, the constraints of what the developer is able to do mm-hmm. and how complex you are making it based on your designs. Because you can make something beautiful, but not necessarily functional. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like the best feedback is feedback from your users. So if you're not testing, like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. like, if you're not getting feedback, then there's not really a point to what you're doing. Because then you're going to give it to someone, then they're not going to use it. You're like, why didn't they use it? And you didn't get the feedback. <laughs> Mm-hmm, gotcha. That's the thing, because it's like, I have an older brother that is a developer. I don't live with him, but when I did, he used to always talk to me about his job and what he does. And that's one thing I kind of miss in in um, the experience of living with him, was getting that kind of feedback and his understanding as to how he approaches his job, how he solves problems. Because, you know, I think for designers, it, it's, yeah, be, be involved in design, but also, like, understand what it is that developers do from day to day, so that when you are making suggestions and changes, it's going to be a little bit more realistic and, I guess, achievable from the developer's end. Would you agree? Or what do you think about Absolutely. that? Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like communication mm. between designer and developer is almost key, mm. but... Sometimes it can be kind of stunted by, like, the higher-ups, you know, Mm -hmm. that may have different visions and stuff that Mm -hmm. aren't doing the user feedback. So it's always good to, like, uh, I think in those cases, it's always good to have the the research that you need beforehand. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you, I feel like you kind of typically see it more intensely in like animation, mm. but it very much so can be affected in apps as well by cutting corners on certain mm. things. Like they want to get a timeline done, so they may not need these particular screens or a certain customization, mm-hmm. and they want to just get the market as soon as possible. Mm. And so I, I find that like even if the developer and designer are having like, the best communication possible and it's a great working team, sometimes there's external forces that kind of shoot you in the foot a little bit. So I honestly feel like in order to kind of um, mitigate that, having the research that kind of disproves certain things is important. So that's mm-hmm. where like you research and feedback kind of come in to really justify like, this is what we need to do for our users rather than like, this is what we need to do for the time constraints possible, you know? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, um, I think we're about up to like the 55 minutes mark. Um, I was planning for some Q&A. Uh, we only have Carl here today, so I don't know if he wants to ask a question yeah, for you or me. But uh, Carl, you here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Do you have any questions? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, firstly, it was just really cool hearing, I guess, about uh, both of your journeys into uh, kind of the space and sort of like you know, the challenges that you've encountered along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, I guess with it being uh, Black History Month here, um, I, I've been spending a lot of time in bigger design communities, you know, whether it's like ADP List or Clubhouse or, you know, Discord. And I've found that uh, even like the, the collective studio here has like a much richer um, diversity than many of the other uh, like tech spaces that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for both of you, what would you say are some like, easy win, low-hanging fruit things that an organization uh, that's trying to become more diverse and inclusive, uh, I guess, can, can do to, to make, you know, people of uh, diverse backgrounds feel more, you know, uncomfortable or uh, welcomed in. Uh, Amelia, did you want to go first? <laughs> you can go first. You are the guest. I am the guest. Okay, so um, I work as a diversity and inclusion coordinator, so there are some things that I kind of understand, but of course, like, communities are ever-changing, so communities need to change with time. So the first thing I would do, um, if I, let's say I had a Discord group, and the Discord group was not as diverse as I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I would do is approach Black universities. Mm -hmm. Um, because they have like the highest concentration of black students um, and black um, innovators, really. Uh, but not, and also I would keep keep around like geographical location as well. Um, and keep in mind that like a lot of black universities have black innovators because not a lot of a, a lot of black students sometimes drop out, but they're still very motivated um, to keep doing stuff. The second thing I would do is talk to the people in your community first. So if you do already have people of color in your community, you know, why aren't they being retained? You know, have the person that is also of their community or, you know, someone that they can relate to on some level, actually ask them the hard questions of just like, hey, like, do you feel safe here? You know, why don't you feel safe here? Did something Mm -hmm. happen? Mm -hmm. You know, also keep in mind that Oh, excuse me. One second. No problem. Sorry, I had to cough. It's all right. <laughs> but, no COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, no COVID. <laughs> but basically, uh, I think it's also like some people don't really want to take a look at their spaces as not being a safe space sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes people can get into their spaces like, oh, well, we have this really good space, but it's like, why aren't black people here? But it's like, mm-hmm. well, you guys aren't even talking about anything culturally relevant to black people. Like, mm-hmm. you're mainly just talking about things that maybe 
like this interests them you're not making events that are socially relevant to them Mm -hmm. and understanding culture is really important while also not necessarily appropriating or trivializing it and so I think like the first step for me if I was in like a community that's like a builder space would be to approach black universities first like BCU, FAMU, Howard, um, Morehouse because that's where the innovators are in around the university too so like major college towns where black students are that's kind of where I would focus first if we're mainly focusing on black diversity mm-hmm. but of course like the uh, it's different for every community mm-hmm. totally agree and uh, times two like agree with what um, Amira has said as for me, like, I've never been asked that question before about, like, how would I like to be treated in, in the workplace or how would I like to be included? Because that's so rarely a question I ever hear. I read an article about this and I shared it on, on LinkedIn, but it is kind of like a strange position for me to be in where people are actually coming to me being like, what can we do to help you? I'm like, wow, throughout my entire life, like, as a black woman, I've never had that question asked me before and I don't know how to answer it sometimes right because I'm just sort of like accustomed to just not being included that I just do all this extra work just to find a place for myself so sort of like what I said about you know dropping out of school having a disability having people not understand what kind of disability I had I just got accustomed to the idea of well I just got to work it out for myself and find people that connect with me because I can't expect the world to kind of understand me so I have to create it for myself. I can't ask for people to change. I can't ask society to change. But there is ways for society to change. And I agree with totally like what, what um, Amira has said. And yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what, all I have to say for that, um, for that question. But it's a pretty good question. I'm glad you asked. Another thing that I just thought yeah. of um, was some problems that I noticed in certain communities is that sometimes they'll make promises, but not make those promises a priority. Yes. Like for example, as a diversity inclusion coordinator, my job at a hackathon was to provide, like make sure that black students were there, but also make sure that they are heard. Mm. And so we had them work on this project for like, and raise like $24,000. It was a lot of money for like a ragtag group of students. And so um, then it came to the point where the hackathon came and we were like, okay, we need to have a a communication strategy to get more FAMU students into the hackathon because it's like we have students working on it, but not necessarily the appropriate signups to have like a whole bunch of black students there. And so when it came to crunch time, it's like other things started to take priority because they are more urgent. But then it's like you're letting down your community by not adhering to those promises and attaching them to the priority of other things like for example why was it the case that like yes you could advertise on like fsu campus but why couldn't you attach different methods of communicating to famu students as well why couldn't you email it to other professors Mm -hmm. at famu Mm -hmm. um just making good on those promises because if communities are let down then you see less of engagement that's a big reason why we didn't continue was because like we worked so hard to the point of like not being represented actually at the event but we are working really really hard to uh, get this event up and running and that can happen in multiple different groups as well so if you're not making them a priority in some way making them feel like they are heard and seen and a priority in your promises to them whether that be like if you make a plan for an event um, making sure that they are represented on the flyer, making sure that, you know, if they're at the event, you speak to them just equally as you speak to everybody else, calling their names out, making sure that you speak to them appropriately, mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, making them part of the everyday of that group rather than like a guest star. <laughs> True say. Because they like they're just like oh yeah like guest star black people here and it's like <laughs> like i just want to be here like i just want to be here and present and represented mm-hmm. totally agree so carl um do you have any more questions for amira 
before we um, uh, wrap up? <laughs> uh, not maybe not off the top of my head. I, okay. I thank you both for the responses. That actually helps quite a bit. Good, good. Yeah, uh, I think this has uh, been a successful and productive conversation. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I learned a lot today from Amira, and Amira learned a lot as well about me. And Carl also learned something, so I think we all learned something. That's the whole point of this podcast. So yeah, I'm glad that we um, were able to do this. So yeah, I don't know how to to end this 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 um, I guess show so to speak, but um, the collective studio. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll do that in a separate recording. You know, when I figure out what I want to say, so it sounds nice and polished. But um, yeah, thank you guys for showing up. Um, next month we'll have Matt Soleri talk with us. I think he's he's the admin of uh, UX House. Uh, yeah, so Carl, you're you're part of UX House. You know all that stuff. So hopefully you'll come back for that session. It'll be pretty interesting talking to Matt. Um, yeah. So I guess we could just have a good uh, Sunday evening or afternoon, wherever we are. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to each other again soon. All right, this Thank was you. really fun. Yeah. I'll be at the next one. Yes, <laughs> you too. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for checking out our podcast. If you're interested in joining the Collective Studio, just visit us by typing in tinyurl.com slash tcstudio, and that will link you to our Discord server where you can join us and 500 others who are all interested in UX design and design thinking processes. Hope to see you there. Bye-bye.